1: This money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Karen Feinerman coming up on Fast, a roller coaster rally. One theme park operator just announcing major plans to get back to business within days. How you can ride on this reopening play. Plus, a social stock standout. What sent shares of Facebook to another all time high? And later, check out this image. We will tell you all about the big game of chicken that is breaking out in China. But first, What is the real read on retail? The group holding strong as we wrap up a major week of earnings. But we got some news today that could dash hopes of any robust retail rebound. Another 2.4 million Americans filing for unemployment last week. And while we all knew that the number would be awful, it may not be telling the whole story. The total claims exclude hundreds of thousands of self-employed and gig economy workers as well. So with millions of Americans, millions of consumers out of work, which retailers are best positioned for this road ahead? Guy. Hi, Mel. Hi, Guy.
2: I feel it necessary to say hi because I don't see you. So if I were there, I wouldn't have to, because it'd be obvious. But so which retailers are best suited in this environment? That's a great question. Something we've talked about. I know Steve will talk about Costco correctly. So uh, Karen has some thoughts on TJ Maxx. But the one I keep coming back to uh, is Dollar General, DG. I think Goldman Sachs just initiated the name with a $202 price target they report, I believe, on May 28th. People will knock them on valuation, but this is a stock that's sort of slow and steady wins the race. You know, Walmart was obviously one of the calls target as well. But if you look at the way those two names have traded since earnings, it's a tad disappointing. You have a pretty much Walmart trading up to that previous all-time high and seemingly failing. Similar, although the target didn't get that high. Target's rolling over as well. That's concerning. So the name for me and others I'm sure will have other names would be Dollar General DG.
1: I think a question that a lot of viewers at home will have, though, is is there are some retailers that have been absolutely taken to the woodshed during this pandemic. And I'm thinking of Macy's. And we saw the stock pop today because the traffic at the reopened stores was moderately better than anticipated, even though they... Warned of a huge loss that's coming in the quarter. So, so, Tim, how do you sort of navigate this sector when you have so many and you are going to have so many of these giant outsized bounces simply because things look so bleak and things are a little bit better than bleak?
0: So for now, names like Macy's uh, and, and even the Gap stores and, and to some extent L Brands, these these were broken stories coming into COVID-19. And these are stories that, uh, one, you have to always be looking at the balance sheet. Macy's is a name where uh, we spend a lot of time looking at the credit side. Karen talks about the bonds. We talk about the sum of the parts. We talk about the real estate. And at some point, you, you derive some intrinsic value for the core franchise or not. Um, I think in, in the case of Macy's, it, it is a case where the assets, I think, are still valuable, even if the core business is going through a dangerous time that is is certainly not going to get better. L Brands, um stock rallied significantly, almost 20 percent today uh, on the fact that they announced they're going to be closing 250 uh, Victoria Secret stores. Now the the reason why that's good news is because ultimately Alice have felt that the the best thing that they can do is downsize the entire company. COVID-19 is forcing a number of these retailers to actually do that faster uh, and more yeah, so aggressively than they would and I think that's that's the opportunity. It seems to me though what we've seen has been uh, kind of that dash for trash across retail and I'm not sure um that's something that you you want to chase. The ones that have been defensive are the names, you know, a Walmart which to me I think its best days for this rally are behind it, not its best days with its consumer group. But but again, the largest retailer in the world, arguably, uh, when we talk about uh, you know the, the, the labor market and some of the issues and all that pulled forward sales and a 25 times multiple, I think I've been pretty clear that I don't love Walmart here either.
1: Right. And, and the fact that that most of the boom happening during the pandemic is happening online. We have been talking about the segment as yes, that's absolutely the opportunity. That is the wave of the future, Grasso. But at the same time, that is probably the lowest margin way of doing business as opposed to a physical store. So, you know, you're <laughs> winning on that front, but you're losing on the margin front.
3: Yeah, you are. But, you know, I, I hate to make it as simple as uh, have and have nots. And the ones that were weak, are, are it's just been exacerbated when you look at a pandemic. So the Macy's and the coal stores, Macy's is down 68% as a short interest of 38%. I wouldn't dive into that, but you could see the up days, as you had mentioned before. Coal stores down 64% with a short interest of 16%. So these are names that maybe can have blips in the recovery because positioning it was just two offsides. But I don't know how they are going to survive. I don't know that coal stores that is in tremend- tremendously uh, based on incentives and giving away product is going to survive. But I will tell you, along with Karen, TJX or, or Target, or even a Ross Stores, I think the discounters are going to have their hand at any of the goods that were ordered. They're gonna just pick a price and they're gonna be able to get whatever they want. So, if you think that Costco, Walmart, Amazon, or Target is overpriced here, then you go with the TJX or Raw stores, something that you think is going to survive. Because I don't know about Macy's and I don't know about Kohl's. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Uh, Karen, TJX, a great trade. I mean, it's up 15% today. Um, what do you like about the store? And Tim was mentioning being prudent in how companies spend, are spending their money. Uh, T.J.X. is being prudent in another way. Right.
4: Yeah. So T.J.X., the quarter was actually awful, um, really bad, but it wasn't at all about the quarter. It's about what are they seeing going forward? And they are seeing in stores that are newly opened, some of them are, are actually up over last year, which is really kind of amazing. So but but they did talk about, you know, suspending their buyback and also cutting their dividend. And I think that a lot of companies should be doing that. They get kind of a free pass right now to cutting their dividend. I mean, a month ago, we talked about everybody should you know, withdraw guidance. Now I feel like if, you, you know, if there's any question, you should suspend the dividend. I mean, companies like Disney are doing it. And another reason that it sort of gives them some cover is if they're going to furlough employees, which TJX did, and they hope it's temporarily, and it very well may be, then paying a dividend while you're furloughing employees might not be the you know might not be the best optics, but I mean this is a tremendous company and uh, it it was nowhere near its highs. Unlike Walmart and Target, which were near its highs, which made the bar very high for earnings. And even though both of them had outstanding earnings, they still traded off in the face of those very tough earnings. This story is a little bit different. It's it's still below its highs. But uh, as Steve said, I think the other part of their business, where I know what did they pay for their goods. Mm. Uh, this is, you know, mana from heaven from them. This is just going to be, uh, you know, this may be the best pricing they've had since 08. Yeah, all the Max so out I like there the will I mean, we'll, nice we'll be very lot, happy. But I think there's... <laughs>
1: <laughs> like a Pete Nigerian. Um, I misspoke, by the way. TJX is up 15% exactly. on the week. It's up almost seven percent today. Um, let's get more on the retail story. Bring in one of the nation's most experienced retail executives, Alan Questrom. Ran J.C. Penney, Macy's, Barney's, Neiman Marcus. He's also a former Walmart board member. He joins us on the phone. Alan, great to speak with you.
5: Nice to be with you.
1: Um, how do you look at at this retail environment right now? I mean, Karen was mentioning stocks are close to all time highs or fifty two week highs. Walmart, for instance, is only off six point. Six point three percent from its fifty-two week high. Targets only down nine percent from its high, um, and yet we have an economy which is in shambles, consumers which are out of work, and a historic unemployment rate. Um, does this drive with you in terms of how how investors are seeing the stock and, yeah, and how I, the economy really is?
5: I, I, it does drive because first of all both of them are in the grocery business both of them have very good e-commerce business particularly walmart and target has put a lot of money into their e-commerce and also upgrading their stores i think both of them are very well run companies and they've done a lot of things in the in the past that them for the future, and I think because, particularly in Walmart's case, because they have such a big percentage of their business, I think over 55% is in the grocery business, and Target has gotten into the grocery business, they, that re- keeps customers coming in on a, on a weekly basis, so they get people coming in, and they've also had the benefit over the last couple of months of having their stores open and everybody else is closed and so they've been able to sell other things in their stores other than groceries. So that's been a huge plus to them. I think the other companies like Costco, I think is another great company where, although last month was a little tough, that is a company that's consistently, consistently come up with comps because they give great value to the customer. You know, and you talked I heard a little bit on TJ Maxx. Again, another great story. TJ Maxx has had a long history of successes. They've got great value, because that's the whole story is about value, and it's mm-hmm. a treasure hunt. But, again, they may have a little more difficulty in the beginning stage, because a lot of these stores are going to be starting to open. They've got a lot of carryover merchandise from the spring season, which they didn't sell, so they're going to all be on big sales. So that may be a little tough, but over the long term, TJ Maxx has been a very successful company in finding value in the market. The customer is looking for value reason dollar general is also doing well it's lower price but it offers day to day value all the time
1: you have such a unique perspective alan because you have touched on a consumer in, in various demographics in terms all of levels exactly <laughs> all levels of consumer out there so if you had to force to choose let's say four stocks that you think will do well in the post pandemic world what would they be
5: well well post pandemic world let me say long term i believe the, you, the Walmarts, the Targets, the Costco's, uh, Home Depot's, Lowe's, those kind of stores I think are long-term going to be very, very good because I they a combination in the case of, of Walmart and Target of food and Costco food and other areas, and the e-commerce, particularly in the first two, Walmart and Target. Those are going to do very well long-term, and I think because they've been always upgrading their assortments, upgrading their, their ability to ex- execute their business, I think that makes them a plus. Uh, TJ Maxx, I think is just long-term because they, they know how to find value for the customer, and I think the customer is, is obviously very concerned with that. When you have 40 million people unemployed, it's going to be a difficult time to figure out where it's all going to go because they're not going to come back automatically. And until you get people back in the workforce, there's going to be a lot less money out there available to buy. And so I think this is something you have to look at, as you say, long-term, and, and, and who is giving the best buy, best deals? Best Buy is another one. I think, you know, they had their stores closed, so their business is down. But mm-hmm. that's a company that's done a very good job at, at serving a customer that's in a very important category, the electronics side. And, and their stores suffered because they weren't open, which I disagreed with them not opening. But the stores that had their stores open with electronics did very, very well right. with them.
1: Um, you, you emphasize long term. And yes, that's the question that I asked you, Alan. But it sounds like almost you actually have a vision of what the short term uh, may look like and which retailers might do well in the short term. So in this pandemic world we live in, is there a difference between the stocks that you would pick or the retailers you would pick for now versus the ones for the long term?
5: Well, well, for the short, short term. You know, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the necessities, obviously, going to be the most important thing that people are going to buy because if you've got a limited amount of money, that's what you're going to buy. Discretionary is a longer term because I think when you think about where where am I going to wear my clothes? You know, I'm going to be home. I don't have a real need for that. So that's an issue in terms of people have a, their restaurants open and places to go and go back to work where they have to get dressed up. That's going to be a little longer term. You know, it it, it is not something that – that is going to happen overnight and so it's very difficult to say where these are all going to be I don't think I don't think by the way the Macy's are going to go out of business mm-hmm. I don't think that Neiman Marcus is mm-hmm. going to go out of business but there are stores that were doing very poorly before this happened the, the chances of them surviving a little or none quite frankly right. because this is certainly this didn't help when you're not doing well already so I think that's a long-term many of those stores won't do. but again the things I'm giving you n- names on are those companies that have had very good fundamentals before so I believe those are short-term right. In long-term, and particularly in um, the short-term necessities is, is certainly essential.
1: Alan, always great to speak with you. Thank you.
5: Okay, good luck. Thank you Alan very much. Questrom. Stay healthy.
1: Thanks, you too. Uh, Karen Feinerman, you and I have had multiple conversations about how it will be difficult to wear actual proper pants eventually. I'm wearing proper pants, but I'm in the office, so I have not to. But, but when working well, from home, how difficult it would be to actually pull on a pair of slacks, if you will, you know, tailored pants as opposed to, uh, you know, yoga pants or sweats.
4: Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's right. Lululemon is another one. It's expensive, but I still think, <laughs> I think it's not just a great retailer. I think it's an actual COVID winner. You know, I really do resent having to wear proper pants. And if I weren't doing this show right now, I wouldn't have a sweater on. Uh, would just have a sweatshirt. <laughs> and that would be my outfit all the time. So I thought it was interesting, though, how... Um, how alan was not optimistic on the department stores um not that they would go out of business but not as a stock to own he has a lot of experience in the space
1: everybody here is wearing pants by the way sad for them i can safely say i don't know i mean i i know them so well i am going oh tim you're raising your hand (laughs) Uh oh (laughs) well i
0: they're, they're proper pants they're proper pants i promise
1: okay of course Just kidding.
0: kidding. Bad joke, obviously. (laughs) Not funny.
1: Boeing shares taking flight today as one Wall Street firm makes a big call on the future of the company should you get on board with this stock. And more virus vaccine news. AstraZeneca receives a billion dollars in funding for its COVID-19 vaccine. We'll break down what it means for the pharma giant. Plus, we've got an earnings alert for you on on two uh, after-hours movers. What is driving this action? We'll have all the details and much more right after this.
5: You seek the key.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a pair of earnings alerts for you. Shares of NVIDIA and Palo Alto, both on the move after reporting results. We've got Dom Chu standing by with the latest in Palo Alto. But we kick things off with Josh Lipton and more on NVIDIA. Josh.
6: So, Melissa, I actually just caught up with Hans Mosesman over at Rosenblatt. I just wanted his take on the quarter. Uh, He rates NVIDIA a buy. He says, listen, executing well in a tough environment, he says, Gaming was down 10% sequentially, but a bit better than expected. Interesting quarter for gaming. This is a traditionally a slower period for that segment. Of course, on the other hand, we know there's a lot of people at home searching for entertainment. Data Center, Hans, point out a bit better than expected as well. as up 18% sequentially. Obviously, that's one reason that segment investors have piled into the name. The outlook, he says, slightly better than expected at about $3.65 billion. His bottom line, this remains a solid investment proposition, he argues, for long-term investors. As for that guidance, three 65 billion for Q2. The street was at three point three. You heard Hans also mention uh, Mellanox. That'll be certainly a subject on the call. NVIDIA recently closed that acquisition. That's a high-performance networking chip company in basic terms that connects servers together. And a lot of analysts who cover the name were excited about that acquisition. Uh, also remember uh, the stock actually headed into this print. NVIDIA had surged about 50% year-to-date, so it was the best performer in the S&P tech sector. This call kicks off at 5.30 Eastern. Listen back to you.
1: All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lifton with the latest on NVIDIA. Uh, Steve Grassley, you've been in and out of this name over time. What do you make of it now?
6: Right,
3: so, so the pushback is always going to be the price and the valuation on this one. GPUs, so gaming, they derive about 85% of their revenue from um, this one. No matter how you slice it, they blow away AMD. That's, that's the one that most people would say is their closest competitor. They blow away AMD on, on gross Uh, margins and on net margins. They're more on par with Intel. But you have to tell me the way the value and growth game is going to play out. So far, growth has won. So I'd still bet on NVIDIA going forward. But if we see a rotation into value, that's where Intel will probably steal the thunder, even though NVIDIA is where all the growth and tech guys will pile into looking for more beta. It's up over 50% for the year so if you start to see a rotation out of growth and slip into intel but but would you rather myself out of the three it's nvidia then it would be
1: intel then it would be amd i mean why not self would you rather tim what do you say well,
0: <laughs> well that was impressive um look i i think on nvidia uh 100 <laughs> move off the lows and and this is one of the great trading stocks we talk about on fast money i mean it's had it's had about 80 uh, plus or minus 30% moves in the last, since October of 2018. I was just counting, obviously. Um, but it, when you think about data center and hyperscale uh, cloud, this is a very exciting part of their business. This is the part that they're actually talking about is quite healthy. Um, yes, gaming is, is critical, um, and April seasonally a pretty soft time for uh, the, the gaming you know, the gaming revenue stream. So look, I I, I love Nvidia. I don't love it here. And in fact, I think you're going to get your shot to buy this thing back. Again, this is looks like it's topping. It's been, uh, uh, you know, kind of rounding around this level. And I think you can get it cheaper.
1: All right, let's move on to Palo Alto. Shares of the cybersecurity company moving higher off its latest quarterly results. Let's get to Don Chu here at headquarters with the latest.
7: Don. Yes, ma'am. It is the trifecta, Melissa, gang, because they did. Palo Alto Networks, the cybersecurity firm, beat on profits. They also beat on revenues. And unlike other companies that have withdrawn guidance, they are actually giving guidance, not just for the current quarter, but for the full year as well. And some of that guidance, especially around this current quarter, is giving some investors reasons to cheer. does come in stronger than expectations in terms of revenue and billings growth. They're also in the middle of their Q and A portion of the conference call right now. I just want to pull a couple of quotes that we've heard so far from Nikesh Arora, the CEO, and other executives there. They say that they expect the pandemic to last around 12 to 18 months before the customers that they have returned to a new normal. They will see new businesses emerge, which have not yet envisioned. Their future successes, we expect businesses to accelerate their technology investments. Again, a reason for that the the bullish move there. This will drive the need for increased cloud security. So again, a beneficiary of the fact that people are staying at home and working at home more. But also an interesting quote here. The good news is, Nikesh Arora says, I think the worst is over. I think now we're slowly building back to an economic recovery, which means our customers are more relaxed and more interested in seeing how they create these technological transformations. We'll continue to monitor that call. But again, for a company like Palo Alto Networks, Melissa, guys, it could be seen as a beneficiary as more people stay and work at home. The need for cybersecurity. Back over to you.
1: Absolutely, Dom. Thank you, Dom. True. um, They've got the trend going for them in terms of working from home, but also, I mean, issuing guidance of any sort, Guy, let alone strong guidance for the next quarter. That's pretty impressive. Current quarter, I should say, next quarter to be reported. is pretty impressive. No, quite.
2: Very impressive. I mean, Palo Alto is a gold standard in this space. We've talked about them for a long time. The good news is billings growth almost 24 percent year over year. Operating margins came in, I think, 16 and a half percent. The street was 13 and a half or so. So you know, in normal times, this is a remarkable quarter, even more so given the environment we find ourselves in. The one problem with the stock it's had trouble at $250 on probably three different occasions. I think we're going to get through it this time on the upside, but I would understand if you took profits. I still like this name. I think we do, do go through the 250 level. level, uh, but if you, if you want to sort of pare down risk, t- taking profits off of this quarter is not necessarily a bad idea.
1: Karen, thoughts
4: on cybersecurity? Uh, I mean, obviously you can see why it's of, uh, you know, its importance now with everyone being remote and moving whole trading desks and bank operations to remote locations. But I just, I don't know, the space has always been so expensive, rightfully so, but I feel like I've kind of missed the boat here.
1: Yeah. Tim?
0: Yeah, well, I, I, I think weakness should be bought, and, and I think uh, Palo Alto has proven they've been evolving in cybersecurity, and, and the, the demands on companies have never been greater, and in fact, this is where they are going to spend, in my view, so um, not chasing it here, but I am buying it near term.
1: All right, we're going to hear more about Palo Alto's quarter tonight on Mad Money. The CEO will join Jim. He's also, Jim, is sitting down with the CEOs of Take-Two and Target. Coming up another day, another record for Facebook, the social stock in stealth rally mode. What is driving investors to like this name? We'll have all the details next. Plus, Boeing gaining altitude today as one Wall Street firm sees a 20% rally on the way. We got the full details on this call when Fast Money returns.
7: Every day,
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Big news out of CNBC parent Comcast crossing within just the past few hours. The company's Universal Park in Florida taking a big step towards reopening within days. Our Julia Borson joins us now with more on that. Julia.
8: Melissa, that's right. Universal Studios, which is, as you mentioned, owned by CNBC's parent company, getting approval for its proposal to reopen its Orlando park from the Orange County Economic Recovery Task Force. Now, Universal's proposing bringing back employees on June 1st to get the park ready for a phased reopening. On June 3rd, it would open with limited capacity for some annual pass holders and then opening up to the general public, again at limited capacity on June 5th. Now, there's no word yet on just how much the park will limit attendance. Now, the park does plan to enforce the wearing of masks. It will take everyone's temperature and will implement a range of cleaning and social distancing measures. Universal Studios telling us, quote, we look forward to formal approval from Mayor Demings and approval from Governor DeSantis. We also look forward to confirming the dates for our preview days and general public opening. Now, Orange County Mayor Demings saying he plans to discuss these reopening plans with the governor uh, likely tomorrow morning. And Disney tells us we out to them. They say they don't have any update on their reopening plans or timeline. We have not yet heard back from SeaWorld about what their plans are uh, to start a phased reopening. Guys, back over to you.
1: Okay, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston with the latest on Universal. Um, show of hands, guys. We're all parents here. Who would go to a theme park the week of June 5th when it reopens wearing masks, washing hands, taking temper, blah, blah, all those things? Okay. Guy,
0: How am I going to get there? Too? You're, you're, you're laughing, Guy. Would you, Mel?
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I would not. I would, I would err on the side of, of extreme caution. But you're talking to somebody who spent five months indoors, not venturing outside until just a month ago. Guy, why not?
2: <laughs> now, I, I, for a myriad of reasons, uh, none of which I really want to get into at this time. But I, the most, of, most severe of which is because you, of the fear factor, without question, You know, I'm I'm, I just wonder. I'm sure they'll put everything necessary in place. But with that said, is it enough? There's just for me, there's no compelling reason to go and wait online for an hour and a half to go see Pirates of the Caribbean when I can put it on the Netflix and check out Johnny Depp myself in the comfort of my own home.
1: Okay, so so that said, so we are all here in agreement just on Fast Money and we're only speaking as individuals and not speaking for anybody. We would not go initially at this reopening. So does that make you less optimistic about a Disney or a Comcast, let's say Steve Grasso, if you thought that them reopening didn't necessarily mean that droves of people are going to be knocking at the gates to get into the theme parks?
3: You know, the charts are actually similar on, on both Comcast and Disney, but I was dead wrong on Disney uh, back around the $100 level. I thought that the stock would crater. I thought that it would fall down to that March low of 85, and instead it rallied about 18%. I was questioning the $26 billion that they were getting from parks as a, as a revenue stream, and I thought that was going to take a tremendous hit. It still might very well take a tremendous hit, but it seems to be, once again, positioning in the names here where everyone got a little lopsided and thought no one was ever going to go back to the park. So I think the more positive we get on vaccines and the timeline decreases, the better these stocks will be. But it seems like they priced in a heck of a lot of good news. Um, I wasn't a buyer at 100. I was wrong, but I, I can't see buying it just yet at
1: 118 either. All right. Coming up, Baidu bids adieu. Maybe. The bold action the company is considering taking as U.S. tensions with China ramp back up, plus a billion dollar bet on a cure, the big money one pharma giant just took from Uncle Sam for its experimental coronavirus vaccine. We got the details and come right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook hitting another record high today after the company announced its workplace chat tool now has 5 million paid users. Steve will also increase in the price target to 260 from 245. Uh, Karen, I go to you. I know you're a holder here. This is a new high for the stock. Is it still cheap
4: in your view? Is it cheap? Uh, it's not cheap to itself. It's cheap to some other things. I mean, uh, you know, we all are, know about there's going to be pressure on the advertising revenue, but I'm glad they have this. this well, they have multiple other, other um, levers or other revenue streams. So I, I, I still like it here. I'm, you know, I always say if you go home long, it's the same as buying it here. It doesn't matter what your cost is. So I'm still hanging. They've really done an extraordinary job, I think, through this crisis. And I think it's also helped their PR position. And it was interesting to uh, hear Mark Zuckerberg talk about the workforce maybe being as much as 50 percent remote by uh, 2030. That would probably reduce expenses meaningfully as well. So staying long. I like it. It wasn't too long
1: ago, like pre-pandemic. When we're all worried about the regulatory issues facing Facebook and the the expenses associated with complying with whatever regulations were going to come, Tim. So does that all has that all dissipated in this pandemic? Do we have to worry about it?
0: Well, I. I think we have to worry about it. And and again, the the, the DOJ was also a factor in June 3rd of last year. So we're about at that one year anniversary and we've heard about it with Google. So, yeah, I I think I think it's there. Um, I think the pandemic has has certainly changed priorities uh, in Washington and it probably should in the short term. Um, I, I think Facebook's ability to focus on costs. Uh, is is very important for investors because there have been times where I think, uh, you know, you've seen major margin pressure on the back of, of really understanding or not even totally understanding what the costs were going to be around securing the platform itself. So um, Karen highlights that as an important point. I think the shop's concept is very important uh, to think about where they could start to be getting into uh, a little bit more of a retail model, which is enormous when you consider the size of that platform. But uh, extraordinary that the ad spend has not been a headwind for the stock. In fact, uh, when they gave those numbers and talked about how how resilient, I think, was the, I I forget what the the word was, Mm -hmm. the the qualifier, but we certainly got a sense that they've been very, very resilient in the face of the market here. So... um, I'm not going home long Facebook today. Um, I am someone that has uh, certainly become more constructive on the stock. Maybe uh, that's where I should start to evaluate. But I think this is a case where this company has very good things going for it.
1: All right. Let's check out shares of Boeing now. Soaring today, thanks to a big call from RBC. Analysts initiating the stock with an outperform rating, a $164 price target. That's more than 20 percent higher than where it closed today. RBC is saying its forecast is based on the expectation that air traffic will rebound by 2021. That's next year. And the 737 Max is reinstated by the third quarter of this year. And we're almost there now. So is there really a light at the end of the tunnel for Boeing? Or is the stock still not cleared for takeoff? I know you love all these puns and things. Guy, what do you say?
2: (laughs) It's still not clear. I like that still. It's very clever.
1: Hopefully that you came up with that on your own. I cannot profess. I can't claim. I can't claim credit for the clever lines of of some, you know, very talented segment producers here. <laughs> in <Unfortunate. Angola's>
2: <laughs> So I know, you read, I know you read the piece, and what I'll say is, you know, they made, they made a big deal about their defense uh, portion of the company, which is something that Tim has been saying for quite some time, and we have mentioned that, that it's totally being overlooked. So I, I get the note, and I understand what they're trying to do. What I would say is this, you know, I thought the stock was headed back to 100 on a B line. I think it got down to 115. Obviously, we've seen the bounce. This level we're at now, for you playing at home, I mean, this is basically smack dab, 50% retracement of that, you know, this recent ratchet up high of 180 that we saw and then March 23rd low of, I think it was 89 or so. So you get to choose here, uh, 135. You can stay long against 135. You could say, you know what? There's another leg lower. I'm in another leg lower camp, but I could understand why you would be optimistic. But, you know, label me a skeptic.
1: Grasso, what should we label you? Uh,
3: I'll try to be a realist on this. I hear exactly <laughs> what guys talking about. Uh, you know, when you, when you when you look at the revenues here, you have 32 billion coming from commercial airplanes. Then you have 26, basically coming from defense, space, and security. So pick your pick your poison. Guy likes that one too. Do you think that the defense, space, and security, as Tim has pointed out, is gonna be strong enough to bridge that gap for when the commercial airline business comes back in. The stock's down 57%. The uh, 50-day moving average is 135. I think use that as your barometer. You wanna get long here. If it trades at or below 135, exit the trade. If you wanna take a, a shot at it here, then be my guest. I would not be getting long. I don't know if that commercial airline business comes back anytime soon. And I think if that's their top revenue maker, I think that that's going to be a headwind going forward.
1: Steve is like a one man band when it comes to fast money games tonight. I mean, it's just one after the other after the other. Tim Seymour, do you agree (laughs) with third quarter recertification of the max? And is that important to your thesis for Boeing?
0: It's, it's part of a thesis. It's certainly part of a bullish thesis. I don't think it has to be part of the bearish thesis. Look, today you heard Southwest Air. Love was out there. They are certainly one of the best positioned airlines right now saying we've got 13 billion in cash. Uh, we're, we're discussing damages with Boeing and we're discussing uh, new deliveries. So um, there are also the guys that talked about deferring. So, I mean, but the point is that this is this is a time when I think airlines are starting to think uh, about look, the entire country is starting to reopen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know what the pace is, but uh, the, the best of breed balance sheets within the airline sector are, are certainly going back to work at some point. And, and therefore, that's the same reason why I think uh, we don't care what 2020 earnings are, frankly. Right. We we've already kicked it out to, to probably looking at where we begin to normalize towards the end of 2021. Um, And I think that's the most important dynamic for Boeing here. Yes, you want to get 737 back, but I thought today's announcements were indicative of the kind of news you're going to see that's going to be bullish Mm -hmm. for Boeing.
1: All right. Coming up, another company getting a boost in its hunt for a coronavirus vaccine. But just how much will successful development mean for its bottom line? And later, Popeye is taking the chicken sandwich wars to China. We'll find out how the company's first foray into Shanghai is doing. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. The U.S. striking a deal with AstraZeneca for potential coronavirus vaccine treatment. Meg Terrell's got all the details. Meg.
9: Hi, Melissa. This is the biggest deal that BARDA, a part of the U.S. government, has awarded yet to a company working on COVID-19. And it's being done under the umbrella of Operation Warp Speed, which of course is the government program to try to accelerate a COVID-19 vaccine by the end of the year, early next year. You can see here what they've awarded, $30 million to Sanofi and about half a billion dollars each to J&J and Moderna. So it's $1.2 billion to AstraZeneca, which is partnered with Oxford today. Uh, and in return, the U.S. government gets a guarantee if the vaccine is successful of 300 million doses by October. Now, we talked with AstraZeneca CEO Pascal Soriot this morning, uh, including about their approach to pricing. Here's what he said. The vaccine costs very little. We are doing this at no profit during the pandemic. It's going to cost a few dollars. It's going to be really very, very easy to, to afford for uh, the middle and high income countries and for the low-income country, countries, we're working with global organizations like CEPi, Gavi, that are supported in particular by the Gates Foundation and many other countries uh, to, to, to help those low-income uh, countries get access to the, to the vaccine. So AstraZeneca pledging uh, no profit during the pandemic, J&J making a similar pledge to make this, quote, affordable vaccine to the public on a not-for-profit basis for emergency pandemic use. Moderna told us yesterday, their chairman, that they're not thinking about a profit as the motivation here, whereas the Pfizer CEO told Forbes in a cover story this week that, quote, financial returns should not drive any decisions. So, Mel, a couple of those more firm than the others, uh, AstraZeneca and J&J saying, not-for-profit, at least during the pandemic. So perhaps if this becomes a seasonal vaccine, they will make some money, but they don't plan to, at least for the pandemic. Back over to you.
1: It's interesting, Meg, though, that we see such a reaction in the stocks. I mean, today alone, AstraZeneca added $147 billion in market cap for a product the CEO said this morning they wouldn't make any money off of, and maybe they'll make money off of later on down the road. So is there something else that we're missing here? I mean, in terms of the U.S.'s investment, let's say, are they gaining um, plants or manufacturing capacity that they will then be able to keep after the pandemic?
9: Not necessarily. They're striking partnerships in order Mm -hmm. to be able to manufacture this vaccine. We do know that they're establishing a pandemic preparedness center at Oxford. Uh, Unclear whether the BARDA funds could go to that. Um, But perhaps it is just the the market's general excitement over enthusiasm expressed about a vaccine. We see it all the time.
1: Yes, we have in a lot this week. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell with the latest on on AZN. And we've made a point of this. This is billions of dollars in market cap being added on to these giant pharmaceutical companies, these smaller biotech companies. And for what? There is no necessarily bottom line payoff, Karen, for any of these companies except for maybe uh, Goodwill. And maybe that maybe that it, maybe that's worth the price. I, I don't know. I, I'm not
4: sure. Right. I mean, you know, clearly Moderna, which we looked at yesterday. Um, and if you have so many sort of, you know, in the hunt at the same time, even if you did get the ho- the Holy Grail, You have to share it with so many. But maybe it is goodwill. Maybe it's just, uh, you know, that all of the pressure on drug pricing will really abate. And um, that would be enough. But that would be for, for, uh, you know, big companies that already have big drugs or or other big drugs in the pipeline, I guess. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any sense.
1: The action in Moderna today was a really interesting guy because it returns it basically to $2 above Friday's closing price. So that big pop that we saw on this mm-hmm. incomplete phase one data, which was then later as being too incomplete, uh, has almost gone away.
2: Yeah, well, it's gone away. Uh, you know, they priced that secondary at, I think, $76. I think it closed at 67 and changed today. And and what, to your point with Karen, I mean, these two names specifically are somewhat, in terms of trading, very cautionary tales. Look at Gilead, for example. Look at the big move, I believe, up to 85 on, on the talk of a treatment, and now look where the stock is trading. You just mentioned Moderna. I mean, AstraZeneca is not a cheap stock before this, and it's certainly not a cheap stock now. So. You know, if I were trading the name, I would look at this move to 57 or so where it is as a gift. And I would be looking to take money out of this. So, you know, could it continue higher? Absolutely. But just understand that this is not a cheap stock by any metric.
1: Coming up, calls for a crackdown on Chinese listings may have claimed a big victim. What a Baidu adieu could mean for the company. Plus, a bump for Baba. Why option traders are expecting big things in the company reports tomorrow morning. Stay tuned. got a big interview coming up for you tomorrow morning former vice president joe biden a presumptive democratic nominee will join us live on squawk box at 8am you won't want to miss that We've got some big news on Baidu today. Reuters reporting the Chinese tech giant is considering delisting its ADRs from the Nasdaq and moving its shares closer to home to boost its valuation. The news comes a day after the U.S. Senate passed a bill that could bar Chinese companies from listing on U.S. exchanges unless they meet certain requirements. So could this be the beginning of Chinese uh, big techs' mass exodus and tim i think it you know what was interesting to me was the quote from the founder and ceo robin lee when he said that chinese companies seem to be continuously the target of new tighter u.s regulations and that is a concern and if you're a good company you have access to any exchange any market in the world
0: you do uh, but this is a bill about foreign companies they're not they're not naming this a chinese company bill so so this is about being able to have a three-year audit trail This is being able to to hold accountability on accounting standards. Um, and, and this is about transparency that, that I, I, I repeat, I think, is, is much about what will benefit those companies in the eyes of investors in terms of their multiple and thus their valuation and mm-hmm. put money in the shareholders pockets uh, in the right way as, as it is a, a, an albatross. But, um, you know, when I when I these these threats, um, obviously, uh, from the companies themselves who are national champion companies of some sort in China, it's important to show some uh, some bravado, I think, here. I think uh, to expect these companies to do something they don't have to do mm-hmm. um, would be very much a surprise. And remember, again, companies go out of their way to list here. Uh, the companies that have not, that have been major global IPOs in the last four or five years, haven't right. met the standards. And, and I think that's really what it comes down to.
1: From the exchange perspective, Grosso, is this a concern? Because I agree with Tim that this You know, from the investor's perspective, this is a good thing for investors to to demand more transparency of companies that are listing here in the United States. But the way it's being perceived is as a direct threat, a challenge to Chinese companies specifically in this political environment. Um, And do U.S. exchanges risk losing business and maybe even losing current listings?
3: Sure, of course. there's, There's always that chance, but it's a bipartisan issue it is, uh, to, to echo these uh, the comments that have been made, there's got to be some sort of shareholder protection. And it, no matter what the exchanges lose, you have a government that forbids any cooperation to any investigations. There's zero protection for the investor with that. So I think you're going to hear a lot of saber rattling along this, and, and it could cost some liquidity, but ultimately it will be for shareholder protection. So we'll just have to see the way it, pl- it plays out. Why don't they just comply? That would be the end of it. And, and, and you know, the, once we start to get some sort of an agreement that we can move forward, that will be the best interest of the exchanges and for shareholders.
1: All right. Well, speaking of Chinese tech, Alibaba is gearing up to report earnings tomorrow. Options traders are betting the stock could jump when those results cross the wire. Mike O'S got the action. Hey, Mike.
2: Hi, Melissa. So Baba traded about two times the 20-day average options volume today. Most of that activity was concentrated in weekly call options, which right now are implying a move of about 5.2 percent or so, higher or lower after they report earnings. And the action that caught my eye were the buyers of the May uh, 215 calls. They were paying about $5 for those, so buyers are obviously expecting a pop after earnings. That would get the stock up over 220 or so after they report
7: tomorrow.
1: All right. Thanks for that, Mike. For more Options Action, the full show is tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, love that chicken from Popeyes, the launch that broke records for the company. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the scene in China. Popeye's debuting there in a big way. Reports of customers waiting for hours outside of its flagship restaurant in Shanghai. Popeye says it is the biggest debut in a new market ever. Popeye's is bringing competition to China's biggest restaurant, Yum China. Popeye's parent QSR climbing nearly 2% today, while Yum China shares were down by almost 4%. The goal here for Popeye's, 1,500 restaurants in China, Tim. Should Yum China be worried? Extraord-
0: extraordinary. Well, I, I think Yum China has competition, and, and we've seen this across uh, uh, the fast food space in China. And, and I do think that some of these iconic American brands are following uh, the same path. And I, I, I do think they are, at one point, with, with Taco Bell and KFC... Uh, and I won't use derogatory terms. They were the only game in town. And, and I think Popeyes is, is clearly engrossing uh, on their turf. I will say, uh, Yum China has had a pretty good run after stumbling out of the blocks. And, and I, I don't think that any weakness here is something that's going to be systemic.
1: All right. It is time now for the final trade. to go around the horn. Steve Grasso. So Avis Budget, it's a stock I've been in and out of. I'm currently in it. It's down
3: 48% year to date, but wait for it. It's got a short interest of 32%. This one is susceptible to a gap higher. Avis Budget, symbol is car. Tim Seymour.
0: So the EEM, which is the ETF for emerging markets, has uh, three of the top five names are Chinese ADRs. I think at least from a trading perspective, the weakness today in the last couple days relative to the S&P, it had been trading. I think you can buy this on a trading call that this was overdone.
4: Karen Feinerman. Yeah, I'm sticking with the girl, boy, whatever, that brought me to the dance, TJ Maxx. I really like what they had to say today. They took a lot of charges, they cleaned up their inventory, they wrote down a lot of things, and their their, their same store sales, I think, are going to be really good going forward once we get things open. So, TJX. Guy Adami.
2: If my internal clock is correct, there are 15 seconds left in the show. I missed my Popeye's taste test, smell. That was a lot of fun. Twitter. <laughs>
1: We'll try and do it remotely. Thanks for watching Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
6: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At p it's a question that over 1400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.